0: From multiple fun, fun, fun locations in Minneapolis or near enough, this is Nice Games Club, the show where nice games have talk gaming and game development.
1: I'm Ellen Burns-Johnson, and I make nice games.
0: I'm Steve McGregor, and I make nice games. And I'm Martha Croy, and I, too, make nice games. For this week's episode, our topics are fun and games and porting your game. And so, if everyone is ready,
2: let's start. So, as we predicted GDC summer is not actually happening
0: <laughs> we were we were ahead of the curve this time yeah
2: I mean by time listeners hear this it will be have been a couple weeks but well, yeah. we we had put out an episode where we were had a big discussion about like oh they shouldn't be selling tickets to this thing it's ridiculous no who's gonna buy a plane ticket and then the day we published that episode they post they, they posted news like digital only like it's, it's just JK <laughs> you know yeah we i guess we still have our down payment on moscone that we'll use
0: some other time or i don't know <laughs> yeah i mean i guess it's it's probably good news it's definitely good news for gdc because then like people can feel free to purchase tickets and yes get access to that content
2: the question is is uh. will it be even cheaper now or are they still going to try to sell tickets for 400 dollars or whatever it was
1: yeah what Could- does it even look like yeah i mean and Companies put in like a lot of effort for going there and doing things that are big, right? Yeah,
2: yeah. but and what know, does it look like online? Yeah, it is interesting because when because when remember when GDC got pr- postponed, it uh, they did put on some talks right on, on their YouTube channel and on on mm-hmm. the vault, but they it actually was canceled, right? That was a separate little. They threw up a couple of things. This actually is going to be a proper online conference, so um, it is kind of good that they're finally actually doing it in a way that is doable i suppose right instead of just and they've got now some months to figure it out right Mm -hmm. yeah um and uh you know things on the ground change suddenly we're all able to go out at a certain point say uh, once it gets to early august it doesn't matter it's an online event like it will be regardless of like that's those plans are now not going to change and so they finally have some solid ground in which to plan a a thing finally Um,
1: solid virtual ground yes
0: exactly (laughs) Uh, maybe they'll have like GDC viewing parties or something if we're able to go outside. Yeah, by then.
2: <laughs> I don't. I mean, it'd be, I mean that'd be kind of fun. We used to do uh, E3 comp- uh, uh, viewing parties with a bunch of people. That was always fun, right? Um, yeah, cool. So yeah, it'd be cool to get people together and watch talks, like and, and mm-hmm. whisper to each other and uh, <laughs> take take photos of the slides on your screen with your mobile phone. <laughs> like, yeah, like, like we do. That'd, that'd be, be neat. Good. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the, like the, there's going to be no expo and like all the sponsorship stuff that usually accompanies is, is going to be different and hopefully they'll do more um, they'll actually do some of that um, online biz dev meeting stuff that they sort of promised uh, mm. that they were going to bring to this event um, because that was a big thing that was missing and of course the lower a lot of people suffered is they couldn't get their, their uh, in development games in front of publishers and platform mm-hmm. holders and, and they couldn't get their middleware tools in front of developers and all the things that all the you know, the dealings and handshakes that happen at a GDC that, you know, will not happen. And that was, you know, who knows who would have gone if they held an event live anyway. So hopefully they come up with something that replaces that uh, in a way that works online. Yeah. But I feel better about it now than (laughs) than I did the last time we talked about it.
0: Oh yeah. For sure. For sure. Yeah.
2: Uh, Ellen, what other bit of news do we have to talk about at the top of the show?
1: Okay. I want to say, ding. We... (laughs) Including me, <laughs> hit level 15 in Star Trek Online. Uh huh. Do you say ding? I know that was like a convention in World of Warcraft.
0: Oh. But <laughs> uh, I, I was like, what are you're you talking to
1: the raise?
2: wrong audience here? Yeah.
1: <laughs> but like, it feels like there are so many more appropriate sound effects you could use in Star Trek, but I can't make them with my mouth. So I guess it's ding. <laughs> yeah.
2: Uh, that communicator it, chirp, I really like that sound. I, I can't. There you go. I can't mock that. Like, <laughs> Maybe we'll put it in the in post.
1: It's the sound.
0: What do the what do the Klingons say or whenever when they greet each other? Kapala or something. I don't remember. Kapla, kapla. Yes, Success, <laughs> Which to me right. just sounds like kapow. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I feel like if you said that to a Klingon, they would stop for a second and then like nod, like they understand what you were trying yeah. to get at. You know. <laughs>
0: Sweet. That,
2: that, that human said kapow he's trying <laughs> just raise a glass of blood wine for him anyway
1: <laughs> they say kapow when they hit each other so yeah okay
2: yeah. <laughs> okay so we're all level 15 now and this is for, yes. li- for listeners who for some reason have no idea what we're talking about even though we've mentioned it on every show the past couple weeks I think um, so yeah uh, we've been playing Star Trek online together because Steven wanted to learn an MMO, and uh, Ellen and I are into Star Trek. And so, you know, the, the two met in, in that. And uh, Stephen, uh, some regrets, but not a lot, right?
0: Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's mainly an excuse for y'all to talk about Star Trek on the show more. Yeah. I regret that. But, <laughs> but otherwise, I'm actually, I'm actually starting to enjoy it a lot more now. Yeah. So we're not, now that we're at this higher level, you can, like, expand our ships and become like more of a role in our team yeah like specialize. before we were all kind of bland regular star trek crew or whatever and we all kind of did the same thing but now like you have got special yeah specializations. where like i'm like a-, a tank and i can like get aggro from all these other ships that are shooting at people and i can take more damage and uh in like uh mark you've got like a bunch of fancy skills that like uh mess up other ships and stuff and prevent yeah them from i'm and
2: i'm uh we, we all love this we all are really starting to love the space combat in that game mm-hmm. like it feels like a real video game which is which is yeah which is really exciting and mm-hmm. um i'm really enjoying um uh, playing as tactically as possible and like you know uh, uh engaging a tractor beam and, and using the shield drain and choosing when to target what's enemy systems i mean it's a game where you can just click 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 until the enemy dies like that is a perfect, yeah. okay way to play, and that's certainly what all we all we could do for a while. Mm-hmm. But now we're starting to get some options, and it's yeah. pretty, and we're starting to be able to um, react to enemies' that, uh, behavior, which is something also that was frustrating. Is like they kind of just sat there, or turned, or chased us, and fired, and there wasn't much. Like, why choose this target instead of that target when there's like eight ships? Like now there's mm-hmm. like a little bit more variety in the enemies, and and because we all do these together as a squad and we're chatting, we can, we can be more like, I'll go for this one. And and it's, you know, we're still kind of fumbling through it mostly, but I think that's just an MMO thing. Um, yeah. And we're, we're not, we're not expert military strategists. So I'm sure that's also a big <laughs> reason, but it's been, more, it's been a lot more fun to like outfit your ship with abilities and then use them. It feels fulfilling, even if a little bit of it is kind of an illusion.
0: Mm.
1: I think I think a huge, and this might come back this might come up again later in the episode when we talk about fun and games. But I think a huge part of the the fun that's designed into MMOs is that communication with your yeah. fellow players, your fellow party members saying, OK, well, we're all at the same level and we all have similar options, but I would like to specialize in this. Um, does anyone have a problem with that? No, that means I can specialize in this and that'd be really good synergy. Um And that's I think that's supposed to be part of the fun yeah uh, and yeah, everybody sure.
2: kind of like in our in our group um uh, there's five of us we all kind of picked a thing we wanted to do and then it all kind of matched up pretty well
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: right like we have yeah we
0: have a well-balanced team of of people and stuff yeah
2: so we didn't have to do any bargaining with each other necessarily about what they want to pick which is a thing you kind of mm-hmm. have to do if you want to be really most effective and uh, mm-hmm. i think it, we, we kind of got lucky it's like uh, those of us who wanted to be the high DPS players and those of us who wanted to be the healers or, or the tanks, we all got to just do what we wanted and there wasn't a lot of overlap.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which was good. Yeah. We might find out in ten levels that we've yeah. totally botched it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Very true. If, Soon enough, if yeah. so, we'll let you know on the next meta if we're next game. club. yeah, well, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. we'll tell you.
2: <laughs> the one thing that's definitely happened that um we've all we all like what we do when we play is we'll do a couple of missions and then we'll end our session together, uh, sitting in open space, customizing our stuff, right? Until we get bored <laughs> of that and, I'll, and say goodbye next time. And um, this time was interesting because suddenly there's, at level 15, it just gives you, well, we were all starting to figure out where all the buttons were. Like that was a big yeah. struggle. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's, uh, and I'm, I mentioned this in, in the pat- last time we talked about this, like it is just utterly inscrutable, like where all the stuff is, what all the menus right. are. And there's so many shortcuts to sections in other menus. That are designed to be a fun, so that you can get to them easy in gameplay, but as a result, there's no like canonical way to open a certain thing. There's like four yeah. ways to do it, and so and and you only know the one you found first, and then suddenly you're like going through. It's it's Byzantine and ridiculous. But we were just all starting to get a handle on it, and then we finished this <laughs> mission, and we're like, oh great, we're all lieutenant commander now. And then it gives us a million more buttons and more mechanics <laughs> and more yep. stuff that we had no hint was coming. Yeah, like. <laughs>
1: Yeah, here are just, your yeah. duty officers your duty officers are all holograms why i don't know what do you use them for i don't know why do you have 30 of them i don't know
2: <laughs> it's very weird i mean it's it, yeah. it's fun because uh, some of the new mechanics like sending out your crew on timed missions and then they come back with awards feels very much a Saturn's creed brotherhood for those mm-hmm. who played that game you kind of like recruit npcs and then while you're busy playing the proper game they're off doing little, it's almost like a little mobile game in a way, like a Farmville kind of experience. And this game has that with your duty officer, you send them to like a diplomatic mission or you send them to go research a thing. And it had had a lot of more Star Trek, you know, uh, flavor text, which is kind of fun. And then, Mm -hmm. and you, and that seems like a fun uh, time waster, but it is not something I expected at all from this game. It just dropped in our lap. And (laughs) And so I kind of resent it because I was like, I was just figuring out where all the buttons were.
0: Uh huh. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. You know, like MMOs, they just expand over time. The more yeah. you play it, the more stuff you get, and so it just it becomes more and more complicated. And actually, I guess it's probably a good strategy because like you become more invested in the system because you learn more things about it. So you want to keep playing it, and that right. gives the money. Right. So <laughs> right, because
2: because if you quit now, you've wasted so much
0: time. Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> uh.
1: It's fun, though, right? You are still having fun.
2: I see what you did there.
0: Yeah.
1: (laughs) It's not a Martha transition, but I'm trying to channel her energy. Right,
2: right. (laughs) You'll get there. You'll get there.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so we wanted to talk about fun in games because it's something that we like to do is have fun. Well, generally speaking, I mean, speak for yourself, but okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But we were talking about, you know, as we were planning out topics, um, we got to chatting about this, And one of the things that we talked about this, you know, one of the things that makes this topic so crunchy and interesting is how freaking subjective that is. (laughs) Um, and so I thought it would be fun to, fun to kind of really kick this topic off by talking a little bit about some different things we've each experienced as fun, not games, but, but also other things. So games that you thought were fun, but also like a project you thought was fun, a movie you thought was fun. A date you thought was fun. Um, and just kind of like rapid fire, share some of that. Just kind of get kind of like a to level set the fact that this is a very broad word. Yeah,
2: yeah. Maybe <laughs> yeah. find some commonalities. Because I think, yeah, the idea of what is fun is it is kind of a know it when you see it. Right? Right. Mm-hmm. In a way. But 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 we try to, as game designers, uh, make it a qualitative or quantitative um uh, calculation um, yeah which is Mm -hmm. ends up being kind of
0: difficult right right well and i think specifically i mean and we'll probably talk about this as we you know talk about each of our individual experiences with fun but i think that that it is because it is so subjective it's not really something that you can aspire to create Mm -hmm. in all players i don't know like like i think another way another way that people have approached developing games is like creating a game for an audience then that audience will find this game fun yeah
3: and, um, yeah
0: and so that makes sense but like if you're doing it from a a broad like if you're making a triple a game you want to make it as broadly fun as possible so more people are interested in purchasing the game mm-hmm. um but in that in that like respect it's not you can't really make a game fun for all people you know <laughs> right right because uh, like we're just we're all different and we all find different things more more entertaining or less entertaining than other people.
1: So, Stephen and Mark, what, what are some trip? What are what for each of you? What's a triple A game that you thought was fun?
0: A triple Super Smash Brothers? Any of them, <laughs> <laughs> even Melee? I mean, I, I like Melee. Actually, Brawl is my least favorite Smash Brothers, yeah, because there's random tripping. <laughs> I think that's most people's least favorite, right? Uh, yeah, actually, probably, yeah. <laughs>
2: Well mine um, is the single player mode in Smash Brothers Brawl. I love, I, love that. I love that. I had a lot of fun. Uh we'll move on. Okay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um but yeah, those are, you know, those are triple A games right yeah.
2: For me it's a, uh, uh I've been thinking about this a lot cuz the Assassin's Creed Valhalla um uh reveal just happened where we're sitting. Right. And yeah, yeah. Uh, and I am not interested. Like, and we can mm. we can get into that at some point in the future. But <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> But I love the first couple of Assassin's Creed games. The climbing through the city, like that idea of like uh, the 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 procedural animation made it really fluid and enjoyable, mm-hmm. and it, it allowed you to sort of like get a sense of mastery without a lot of wasted time. You know, there wasn't a lot of like trying to figure it out. You didn't have to master it. It just felt yeah. like you were a master, and it had a, it had a good combination of mechanic and presentation um it was uh sneaky but you didn't hide behind things for too long it was um it gave you options but not so many to overwhelm you um right it, and uh, you know uh climbing through the through the the rooftops and so that that is a principally very much very fun experience for me um which is weird how little of that is in Assassin's creed games anymore but again <laughs> whatever <laughs> mm. <laughs> But yeah, what's fun for some is not fun for all, right? Right? Yeah. yeah. Well, Alan, okay. what
0: about you? What
1: did you uh, find fun? Well, what so I think you? oh my gosh, there's there's several, but I think the <laughs> one that was going to come to mind um that I was mentioned here was would be Breath of the Wild. Mm-hmm. And I think the richness of the world was really fun to explore, but also like the world was very richly developed and planned and designed, but also like, threaded through that entire design was just this sense of, like, playfulness. Mm -hmm. There were some serious and scary things, like, the robots. Um, Scary. But also, like, very (laughs) cute, like, little Korok puzzles. And the temples were, like, it was, there's this joyfulness that's, like, threaded and sprinkled out throughout the entire world Mm -hmm. that you can choose to engage with. I mean, literally, at any moment, you can just stop and be like, okay, I'm gonna have fun this way right here right now and you can it gives you that option every single moment like you can just be riding your horse through the the grassland and then suddenly decide that you want to stop riding your horse and you want to have fun by gathering some things or catching bugs or whatever and you Mm -hmm. can do that Um, and I think the the freedom given to players in that environment but also the care and, and detail put into that environment with that fun in mind that playfulness like joyfulness in mind really came through for me. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I'm thinking about in that game, like, oh yeah, that game was fun, but it was also alternately fun and frustrating because as you played it and you cleared out things in the map, then the map became more and more empty. Yeah. Um, Mm. And, but at the same time, even as I was having that thought, I'm like, no, that actually worked in its favor because then when you came across something that you hadn't something new and you hadn't seen something new in a while, like it almost inverse was proportionally inverse to how frustrated you were. Like uh, you you got that amount of joy from, uh, it's like, Oh, I haven't seen one of these in a while or like, Oh, this has been here the whole time. Yeah. And whereas early on, um, the, the, the world still feels big and empty from jump, but you are always running into stuff. Right. And and Mm -hmm. as you progress through, but when you start to like try to sweep up all the, you know, extra things, or if you're a, you know, a, a a masochist, like going for all the Korak seeds, (laughs) um like there's a lot of time you just spend like doing a search grid or whatever like you're not Mm -hmm. exactly experiencing the principal fun but then you find something and then suddenly it's way more enjoyable than if you had found that same thing 30 hours ago
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah well and there's so much in that game that is spread out throughout the world that if you're focusing on one thing that almost still gives you, I mean, unless you've really spent a lot of time into it, if you're focusing on one thing like temples, then you're gonna come across things that you probably didn't discover, also in that area, like, yeah. oh, there's this species of, you know, consumable. There's this, there's this food thing I can get here, or this this is great. I didn't know about this tree. What's this? Here's a Korak puzzle. Um and I think the 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 planning like the game was planned to allow the player to engage with the game in an unplanned way. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Um, yeah, that that was a big factor for me that made it that made that game fun. But to move the topic along, uh-huh. I want to talk about fun in a few different ways, so that we can really dig into it. So what yeah. what's a non game experience that you guys thought was fun for you?
0: Um, uh, I like dancing. I find dancing to be fun. Yeah. Uh, in many different forms, I guess. Like I'll go to a club and dance or like ballroom dancing with a partner. That is also fun to me. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I, enjoy, I enjoy multiple aspects of dancing. It feels good. So, <laughs> so yeah, that, that that's something that I, I, I find fun. Yeah,
2: cool. So for me, I, I'm thinking of so much of what I like to do is tied up in what I like to make. And so mm. I'm just thinking about a, a something with not a lot of stakes, just, just like a drawing, right? Mm. Um, since I was very young, it's always been something I've really just enjoyed and found really fun regardless of how successful the result was, I suppose. Mm. So I can be a little bit more zen about it, I guess. But comparing that, Stephen, to your example, like, um uh, dancing is a, is purely an activity right you're not you're not looking to win the competition, although that might be something you'd be into <laughs>
0: uh probably not actually with with terms of dancing i wouldn't be interested in winning a competition i say right now because mm-hmm. i held, i don't know any dancing competition <laughs> <Maybe that's what laughs> but uh there's like yeah, no there's no they, stakes right like there's, yeah, yeah. It, like
2: you're just dancing and there's no way to not enjoy it,
0: yeah right yeah, basically yeah
2: um i i the things i find fun tend to have a, some stakes which is like sure why i'm a grump a lot i think um is like <laughs> I, I, like i don't enjoy myself unless i unless i can see myself getting something out of it necessarily mm, but when right. i'm just sketching or drawing it, that thing i get out of it is has a much lower there's a lower threshold so i can i can more reliably just enjoy myself i think okay but sure. you know when, like writing or, or or coding or or just creating in any sense that's where I get the most enjoyment. Um, Mm -hmm. But it's, it, uh, it, it takes like, I can also not enjoy that. Right. Yeah. Uh, Mm -hmm. And frequently don't.
0: Sure. Yeah.
1: For sure. I think actually that's a, that's something, an angle I hadn't thought about for my response, which is like, I really like learning things. Yeah. At Mm -hmm. least up to a point. Um, But, you know, learning how to make something using some, a process or a tool that I've never used before or, um, you know, learning about a new location or traveling to a new place, or just learning anything new, is really fun for me. Mm-hmm. Um, up until I feel like someone is making me do it, and then it's not. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm going through that right now. I'm still going through school. Yeah, mm-hmm. from home, uh, and yeah, it's I, I enjoy learning too up to the point. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah,
2: it's just what that point is is different from person to person, right? Uh-huh. Yep. Yeah. Yep.
1: Well, it's I think and so this is where I wanted to like really get into the the topic about fun in games because mm. I think, you know, in talking about the various experiences we have about being fun, one of the things we also talked about was like, yeah, I like this activity. I like doing this thing. I like this experience. Unless it's like this. And so it's yeah. subjective for sure the different, you know, we each find different activities fun. We might find the same activities fun, but we find different aspects of them more compelling than others. Um, But the context also matters a ton.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: So and I think that that idea of subjectivity, but also, you know, context is extremely important in games. So one of the things that I know uh, Stephen wanted to rant about was like, is fun enough? Um, so this is really kind of like n- fun in games, I think is, is interesting as a topic. If you're approaching it from two directions, one is what is it? And the other one is, yeah, okay, but is it enough to just be like, this game is fun? Uh-huh. Or as a designer and developer, are you thinking, okay, but what makes it fun? Or is it just something you stumble on? So I kind of want to just see what, what in those sentences. Sparks off Steven's rant and go from there. <laughs> it's not hard to get me to go.
0: Uh, <laughs> so I, I guess basically my issue with the whole idea of fun in video games is that we oftentimes are striving towards that as our goals for making a game where like games can be so much more than just fun. Mm-hmm. Um, like we allow other forms of media to be different things and other than just like fun spectacles. Uh, like movies can be challenging or sad or scary or, uh, what have you all like hard pieces of, you know, media to watch, but like, you can still gain something from it. You can still learn something from it. Um, and you can enjoy it in a different way, not in a fun way, but like in a, I don't know, an experienced way. Yeah. You can't come up with a better term than that. Um, but like with video games, we oftentimes are like, is the, is the game fun? Well, then it's worth playing. If it's not, then it's not worth playing. And I or, it's, or it's an
2: me. art game that's meant to be challenging and not not meant, you know, like not meant not destined for success.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah. And not just that, but like, well, like we'll separate an art game from a game. Yeah. 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 You know, um, and I think part of the issue is we're using the term game to describe video games, which I mean, uh, game implies that it, that it should be fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's like a whole other thing we can talk about later. But like. <laughs> Uh, I just think that like, I mean, you never played battleship with my sister, so <laughs> <laughs> <Not okay. fun? laughs> I don't want to get into it, <laughs> <laughs> um, but like, I feel like, I feel like as a medium, we are sometimes limiting ourselves by only chasing what is a fun quote unquote thing. Yeah. 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 Um, And I mean, part of the issue is, like, it is subjective. So, like, even if, like, a game is good and interesting um, to play, it might, it might actually, it might end up being still fun for somebody. And so, like, when they're designing something that is a compelling piece of art, um, it's still, like, playing, the experience of playing through it can still be fun. And so, like, you, you might still boil down all of your decision making to, I was trying to find the fun. Mm but. So, like, it's it's kind of, I guess it's kind of conflicting. And then, like, it's not it's not as simple as just, you can't just, like, when you're making a game, you can't just say, I'm trying to find the fun. But you also can't say, I'm not trying to find the fun.
1: Yeah. You right. know? You're trying to find, like, okay, so let's take Inside, for example. Have you guys yeah. played Inside? Mm-hmm. I have not. Okay. I won't it's, scary, right? <laughs> it's scary, right? It's exactly. scary. Exactly. I right. would totally, okay, I up until like the last five to ten minutes of the game, I would not use the word fun to describe it. Uh-huh. Okay. And I won't spoil it specifically. It was scary. It was super scary. It was a scary <laughs> game. It was tense all the way through. Yeah. But then those um, last
2: five minutes you had a blast? I did kind of have a blast. It's funny you say that because I felt exactly the opposite. Really? <laughs> once, once the big reveal, the twist, and then the, the game speeds up a little bit, and it gets wacky. And I mean, it's it's old enough now, but we'll, we'll, let's not spoil it. But like it, like I didn't enjoy that part at all. I had a lot of difficulty going with it on that journey. Whereas yeah. previous to that, the tension and the, the drama and the, the spookiness and the atmosphere really worked for me. And I really yeah. had a lot of fun with it. And then once it did that big twist, which everybody loves, I was just like, <laughs> wait, this is what it is. And I, I couldn't. And then the game wasn't over yet. So I had to like, I, I slog through the, the the end of it. Sure. And I, I, yeah. I think that's probably a unique experience. I think most people really enjoyed it after that twist. But it's it's funny the way you describe like it was not fun exactly until then, because I felt exactly the opposite.
1: Yes, I would have described it as really compelling. Yeah, and then uh, then in that last five minutes for me, I would use the word fun to describe. Man, it. Man, what what if we use the term
0: compelling instead of fun when we describe like this kind of stuff? Because like. Yeah. Any any game that I played that I enjoyed that was not necessarily fun I would find I would describe as compelling.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, what's an example?
0: Um, well, okay, so uh, Popo and Yo. I don't know if y'all have played this game, um, but it's like you basically like you play as this kid and there's this monster that like follows him him around, and uh, but like you can find ways to like train it and stuff, and it turns out that blah 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 spoilers. Uh, <laughs> um, but like I, I would not describe that game as Fun but I would I would Describe it as compelling like narratively it is very Interesting and like the Mechanics of the game uh, Are meant to, to Fit the narrative and I don't know that it Hits like all of the points super well But I do think that like it was I do think that like it was uh, I thought it was compelling mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Like Mechanically and narrative and so like that's how I would maybe describe that game. But I wouldn't necessarily describe it as a fun game because, like, I don't know that I was having a ton of fun, like, playing through it. It's kind of a, it's like a third-person platformer, but, like, the platforming isn't super great. Right. And it has puzzles, but, like, the puzzles aren't super great either. Um, but, like, I think it, I think it all still, like, worked when you combine all of that stuff together. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, I, I like the way y'all described it. I like the way you described Inside in that, like, you felt that, well, for you, Mark, you felt that the first, most of the game was compelling up to a point. And then, Ellen, you found that the game was compelling and then it became fun. Right, right. <laughs> um, but, like, you both still found something of note in the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even yeah. if you wouldn't necessarily describe the the experience you were having as a fun experience. Well, the yeah. way you're
2: describing this game is, like, it's got platforming, it's got puzzles, but they're not great but that's not, that's not a hit against it Uh, inside very much like that, where it's a, it's a side scrolling platformer that is like, does not have a lot of interesting ideas. Like, Mm. like, you know, up to the twist, in which case it's one really big, interesting idea. Um, (laughs) But prior to that, it's fairly mundane and simple. And, Mm. but that is again, not a knock against it. Like, um, like it's the puzzles are not challenging. And sometimes they're even a little bit like, oh, that's all it is. But like at, yeah, it's still incredibly compelling all the way through. Yeah. And right. if the game was much more of a moment to moment thrill ride, or more like or even more like charming or delightful, then perhaps I mean it's a supposition, but maybe it uh maybe it's giving it too much credit, but maybe it would remove from how compelling it is, because so much of it is about the atmosphere and the tension and that moment to moment, the walking left to right. Um, yeah, which is something that is not really a game experience exactly. Um but is required for the type of compelling that it is.
0: Right. Yeah. 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 That's, yeah. I, I, huh. The way, yeah, the way you're describing it is like, yeah, like a lot of times we, we use these different forms of uh, mechanics to, to take the player on some form of an experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's not, uh, That, uh, yeah, I guess, like, that experience can be a multitude of things, and, like, the way you, I think the way both of y'all describe, um, uh, inside is that, like, it is tense, and that was, like, a compelling, uh, emotion in the moment as you were playing through the game. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and so, like, that could be something that, like, you could try to, and I think that, like, games have that, fun games or not fun games, they have, like, they have, a lot of them have fun, tension-filled moments, um, in them, um, that like you can also aspire towards. There's just like, I, I guess like it's kind of difficult because I feel like I'm standing on a soapbox saying, why are y'all looking for fun? Stop <laughs> it. But <Yeah. laughs> but like, I just, I, I just want people to think more deeply about what experience you want players to have. If you're designing
2: a moment and you're, and it you're aiming for it to be fun, mm-hmm. um, you may miss out on other things it can be.
0: Yes, exactly. Yeah, and even if you're, like, aspiring for it to be fun, there are different kinds of fun. Mm-hmm. Like, there are different, like, I mean, we were just describing as we were uh, talking about, like, different games we like to play, the different types of fun that we were having in these games. Yeah. Like, I, the reason I enjoy Smash Bros. games is because they're competitive and I like competing with other people. Um, And, uh... Like but for you, Mark, you liked all of the, the like how all the systems came together in Assassin's Creed and it it, it made it a fun and compelling game.
2: Yeah, and a lot um, of it is is because I I, uh, I like single player experiences, I like stories being told, and I like yeah. having a hand in that. I kind of yeah. like I, I like be, you know, being the hand that weaves the web, I guess. Right. And so games that make that sort of like effortless but also rewarding, I I, I get a big thrill out of. Them. Um. Mm-hmm. Whereas games that throw up like, uh, and that includes challenge, right? But, yeah. But that's why I don't like competitive games that much because the challenge is unpredictable, and and right. I I don't enjoy that as much. Um, sure. But yeah, like you were saying, it is. It's very different for different people, and so mm-hmm. thinking about your audience is important when you're designing. Yeah.
1: That. I think, and going to what Stephen has been saying, you know, has been yelling from the top of the soapbox. <laughs> um, <laughs> But like, if you're just asking your pl- your players, "Hey, is this fun?" you're missing that nuance because we've talked, you know, on this podcast, we've talked about games that we've all played that we found fun, but we found those games fun for different reasons. And yeah, so, if right. you just are asking the question, "Fun," <laughs> but you're not going to get the nuance that you want to really craft those moments right, from right. the bottom up mm-hmm. like, with a strong foundation and with interesting interesting details. Mm-hmm
2: uh steven i do want to maybe there's i've been thinking about this this whole topic There, sure. maybe it's even pushing back a little bit on the idea that that um like if we're accepting as a premise that fun is not necessarily uh, something the game has to be um yeah. but we're also trying to sort of define what that means um right. w- uh, what if he phrase it a different way so i'm thinking of like a film um you know like a film like solaris which is this it's 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 hard to watch, right? It's an old okay, Russian sure. sci-fi film. It's hard yeah. to watch, and it's a it's a real thinker, um, uh-huh. <laughs> but <laughs> and it's very slow. Uh-huh. But I would describe it as fun to watch. But the movie okay. itself is not fun, right? Uh, huh, or a, okay. a more maybe commonly known example is like two thousand one, which oh, yeah. you know, like there's some jokes in there, but like it's not it's not mm-hmm. a fun movie. But right. you can have fun at the movies, and I yeah. think that that games are different. In that you are, because it's a, it's, uh, regardless of a genre, it's participatory, it's first person, you are the person who is experiencing it. So we tend mm. to, to conflate the, the subject matter, the, the, what it's, what happens in a game with what the player is doing. Whereas, yeah. um, if you can think of a game that is not itself fun, but a, uh, like, it, but a person can have fun playing it, like, that sounds like a contradiction, but I think we think that about, like the examples you were saying, movies and books and things that are not described as, you know, like uh, uh, happy or, or joyous or fun, we mm-hmm. still have no problem going, enjoying them, right? Yeah. Um, like a movie that, like comedies don't um, uh, get higher box office than tragedies, right? Right. And so it's, it's obvious that we don't find fun in watching a movie based on how much fun is in the movie. And mm-hmm. so, if we think of games the same way, then maybe we can let uh, the burden off of fun and make it more like it should be fun to experience. The game itself doesn't have to depict or, or provide. Does that make, I'm kind of uh, yeah. fraying on the edges, but like maybe we can think of it in that way instead.
0: Sure. Well, I mean, yeah, I, I, I like the way you're framing it. It's like, instead of, yeah, instead of like you aspiring to make the game, itself fun. You're trying You're aspiring to make the experience fun, and that's... Yeah. I mean, I'm kind of mm. advocating for that myself, basically.
2: <laughs> right, and it's really like, easy to just, like, say, like, isn't that the same thing? Like, it's, it's hard to, to make definitions for this, but I, I think people yes. probably understand what we're both aiming at here.
0: Yeah. And, I mean, half the problem is, is, like, you know, one thing that I really like about academia, is, in games specifically, is mm. that they're trying to define these kinds of things, and they're trying to, like, create a model or a system that like describes what things we have been saying, like fun or genres of things or whatever, what they are exactly.
2: Right, right. And,
0: and that's helpful because like when you have that definition, you can use that, you can use those that language to better describe what things you're trying to do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and that's something I, I lack because I don't have that academic experience in games. Well,
1: um, I think they're incredibly because games are just so it's such a huge Word, there are just so many things that fit under that category, yeah. That it becomes you know, it's a major challenge for from an academic perspective. if You're trying to come up with like a good taxonomy, (laughs) it totally is, yeah. Um, but
0: but like, I, 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 yeah, thank you for bringing that up though, Mark, because I think that that framing is valuable for people to hear. The more I think about it, the more we talk about it, the less
2: interested I am in defining everything. Yeah, <laughs> you know I mean? me too. The, 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 the less interest I am in the academic element of it, where it, we're really sorting, and, and, um, which isn't to say it's ephemeral. I mean, I'm, very much, I'm a person who loves the Dewey Decimal System, so I'm, <laughs> I don't want to say like it's all just in the air. But at a certain point, you do kind of know it and you see it. And the thing we do as artists is say, I want this moment to elicit a feeling in the player. Mm-hmm. And, so, and that feeling is, it is... I think we're already pretty comfortable with that feeling being anything. Um, yeah, as designers, and so maybe that is all that needs to happen, and then like the finding the fun. I agree with you. Like that feels like an oppressive term, almost yeah. uh, it, it, that that uh, weighs too heavily on designers.
1: Yeah, you yeah. want it to be a compelling, valuable experience for your players.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes,
1: part of what makes that experience compelling and valuable can be fun. It right. can also be reflection. It could be. Discovery it could be the irritation, right? Frustration. frustration. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so much yeah. of what
2: game, what makes games
0: fun later, is them being annoying now. Mm-hmm. Right. That's very true. And I, I think I think maybe I'm being unfair to like developers because I don't I don't see like people s- describing games they're making as like they've been, they were just trying to find the fun and they stumbled across blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. I do see a lot of people now, um, being more descriptive about like the emotions that they want players to feel experience as they're playing the game mm-hmm. um, and so like it does seem like as as a as game developers we're we're progressing more towards a uh a larger frame of reference when it comes to like making games. Mm-hmm. but I, I guess i just want to caution and and for like listeners who aren't necessarily interested in making games themselves but are interested in like uh, like the experiences that makers creators like Go through as they're developing a game. Um, it's he- I think it might be helpful for players to like see that not games aren't necessarily just supposed to be fun. Yeah. I guess that a lot of times when I see people describing games, as just supposed to be fun. I see it from the perspective of uh, a player, like literally a player who's not making a game. is like this. Well, this game isn't fun. I'm not interested in playing. It. Right. Um, and I, and I, I, I guess I'm pushing back more to, against that than I am. Towards development, because I think as a as as a media, we're we're moving past we're moving past that.
2: Right, right. Could it be that we we all as a society talk about we we like we judge games on a threshold that maybe if we in a vacuum we wouldn't? Is that kind of maybe what Mm. you're saying? saying? Like yes, when when players or or press or or Mm -hmm. reviewers or or I don't know people on Reddit, I guess like the community of people (laughs) who experience games when they we all agree that, like, this should be fun. Like, why is it that we agree that? Is it because, like, we just, we think we're supposed to? Or in a vacuum, would we actually use those
0: same kind of criteria? Yeah, that, I think that's a good way of describing it. And I think that part of the reason is just, like, that is how we had, in the past, described things Yeah. in games. Like, I, I do think that, like, having a more definitive language that we can use to describe experiences that players can go through is valuable in that people can understand better the nuances of games. Um as, as a as a person who's not like interested in making games, if like if you run across a term that like that was regularly used, um, then you'll have a better understanding of like that experience. Yeah. Uh, I mean that's how I guess that's how language is like created anyways, right? Like mm-hmm. you use you develop um you develop language so you can convey Information. So we just need. I think we're starting to develop more of a language to convey more information about what a game experience can be.
1: Maybe <laughs> that was a lot. <laughs> it was a lot. Big topic. It is a big topic. It's a big topic.
2: I do like. We, I do like when we end on maybe. That feels like a really good place to end. <laughs>
1: right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm really curious to hear what our listeners have to say on this particular topic. Yes. It's yeah. just so much to be said about this one. Um, There's and, a lot of,
2: a, a, of um ideology, perhaps, where people are like, this is what I believe. Like I I want to hear yeah. what people believe.
1: I do. Mm-hmm. I want to hear I also want to hear if you think like we're totally wrong. Because yeah. that's interesting. So <laughs> give us your thoughts. We will assimilate them. <laughs>
3: we will assimilate.
1: That was a Star Trek reference. Yeah. Okay.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> hey, uh, you can leave a review on Nice Games Club uh, on your favorite podcast app. We like those because they give us fancy stars and the, the people can see it and it says five out of five. Wait, 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 <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Hold up. But
2: fancy? There are fancy stars now?
0: I mean, they're golden. And they're like, five-pointed. Those are fancy, right?
1: (laughs) As opposed to like a three-pointed star?
0: Yeah, exactly. We don't don't got triangles, but (laughs) these are like five-pointed. They give us two extra points. Well, I'm going to (laughs) look into this. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Well, yeah, check it out on your favorite podcast app and uh, leave us a review. Sometimes we read them on the show, too. Like this review, for example. uh, Lou57, who's a regular listener from Canada, says... It's good to be part of the club. The variety of subjects discussed on this podcast will satisfy anyone looking for a good game dev podcast. The hosts are charming, and every episode, I feel like I'm just sitting next to them. Every episode, they accompany me in my commute, and it makes me want to work more on games when I get home. They are a boost of sunshine. Also visit their new cool website. (laughs) Yeah, also do that. Yeah.
2: So this is a fun review because, um, uh, because we are not any longer sitting next to each other. And so it's, right. it's nice to know that uh, we can impart that feeling without it actually happening. Um, mm-hmm. So that's good. Good feedback. I love it. Yes. Um, <laughs> and also, uh, Lou listens to us on their commute. That's not a thing that happens for a lot of people anymore.
0: Um, well, you can commute from your bedroom to your office. Room. It's true. It's true. <laughs> just just make it take an hour.
1: Yeah. Right. If you you might need to do it a couple times if you want it to take a whole episode.
2: Right. <laughs> we we so do like, go on.
1: Maybe commute by doing a very slow worm across the floor. (laughs) You'll get exercise, too.
2: okay this next topic is mine um, talking about porting your game um, in our uh, regular clubhouse meetings going back probably a year I've been I definitely want to do this topic eventually and mm-hmm. every time we would get together and say what are the next topics for the next month Steven you'd go there's this one you've been talking about for a while <laughs> Yeah, and you finally convinced <laughs> me to do it So, um, and part of the reason why it's it's maybe more, more uh, appealing to me now to finally get to it is that um, I've done this for two projects now, so, uh, in, in different ways. So, when we talk about porting your game, uh, it kind of means a couple of different things. I think, popularly, like amongst gamers, uh, porting has a few meanings as well, and developers, I think, it is even less certain what you mean when you say it. Um, yeah. But a lot of time, you know, like Super Mario All-Stars, right? Like, a, a game that uh, appeared on one platform and is then imported to another one. Or, hmm. you know, back in the days when those architectures were wildly different between, like, Super Nintendo and and uh, and Sega Genesis, like you know, you uh, porting was something that was uh, n- either one to another, or sometimes wasn't done at all. It was just two separate games made, right? So right. even then, it's it's not a a, a solid definition. Uh, as developers today, we tend to think of porting in terms of like making your project and then building to another target. So if you're a Unity developer, you're pretty familiar with this. You can make a Windows build, you can make a Mac build, and people will call it the Mac port. But Unity yeah. itself is, a, is an abstracted intermediary language. Like it doesn't, you know, it's not native to anything. So even your Windows version is, is a port in this by this definition. So it's very fuzzy. <laughs> um, yeah. So for, um, for Widget Satchel, um, you know, that's uh, uh, was launched on PC and Switch. And so I talk a lot about, in, you know, when I'm talking to other people about it, I talk about the Switch port. Um, but I'm talking about that. I'm talking about just targeting it from the same code base. And so I'll, I'll you know, get into that a little bit. Um, I think um, when people are making games for PC and mobile, there's like a lot of design considerations. If you're making for PC and console, there's fewer, perhaps, depending on the features of of those platforms. Um, But in Unity and in other uh, sort of uh, um, engines that can target multiple things, you generally will um, either it's an option in a menu or you install it as a module um, for uh, for consoles, for, uh, you know, for Switch, for PS4, for Xbox. Um, you you install an extra piece of software onto your Unity build that you get from uh, Sony, Microsoft, or Nintendo, or you get from Unity by way of those those companies, uh, depending on which. And all of this is under NDA, and so uh, you can't just install it to try it out. Um, you you also need dev kits, um, so this yeah. is not something that's a surprise to our listeners. Um, but it makes it kind of weird because um, it is there's not a ton of instructions as to like what to do. Uh, and what to do first,
0: I think, is the trickiest right. part. Right. Yeah, that's true.
2: That's the part where I had when I, when I first started working with um, Switch stuff in Unity was like, okay, these are the things I need to do. What should I do now? Because I'm still working on the game for PC. So should I be working on the uh, making a Switch build so that I get that going? Or should I finish the game first? Or how? I don't know. Like, it is kind of tricky. And if you, of course, if you plan to launch simultaneously, then you can kind of mix and match. Um, but Steven, you've done this also for treasure stack. Yeah. Uh, you worked on uh, three different platforms at the
0: same time. We did. Yeah. And I, I was lucky in that, like we hired contractors, uh, Andy and Scott, and, and Andy's been on the show before, mm-hmm. um, where like they helped me, they basically did the Xbox port and yeah. I worked on the Switch port and the PC-ish port. Right. Um, and so, yeah, like it's, it's, um, the way you're describing it is pretty accurate though. Like you, you kind of just like work on the game until you get. The way we've been doing it is you just work on a game until you get to a point where you're like, uh, okay, time to move on, make, an, make a Switch build. Yeah. Now, and then like you just start the porting process for the Switch. Right, and you're not done um, with the game yet. You just...
2: Right. It's, and, uh, you know, the tools are such that you can kind of move around. Yeah, Right, exactly.
0: Um, But, yeah, if you're explicitly trying to, like... If this is, like, an... I guess if this is, like, an old game that you're, like, explicitly porting to a new console, you want to start using the new features of that console. Or if you're making it an exclusive, you want to start using the features of that concept. And so, like, yeah, might, the design on the, issues, right? Yeah. If you're putting it on the switch, you want to make sure that, like, you feature HD rumble in some way or something.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And making sure that, like, if you're, like develop, especially if you're developing simultaneously, like working on, like, HD rumble is, um, um, uh, it's completely different from normal rumble in a way that's yes. frustrating. <laughs> Uh-huh. <laughs> um, because you'll get it working exactly the way you want it and then you'll be like oh okay well this now I need to replicate this experience sort of or is this going to be a unique to this platform and then it doesn't exist at all in the other platform and like oh well we can't ship a PC game without rumble it's like well but people will use mouse and keyboard so they don't care and like mm. it, like a lot of this is um, it's difficult because I think when you're especially when you're working on consoles you tend to there's two things you do you design broadly to the lowest common denominator, right? Right. And, and this is something that, like, you've probably complained that other developers have done, but you will do it too. And <laughs> you will... Yeah, Yeah. Uh, you will. <laughs> you, you know, it's like there's a, gr- there's a cool feature on the PlayStation 4 controller. It's got a speaker on it, right? And so right. it would be so cool to impart information to that player. So you come ag- uh, uh, up against, like, a, a you know, a, a, a console somewhere in the game and then you want the 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 audio to come out of the speaker but the speaker's kind of tinny so that's going to change our design so that in the world of this game the speaker in the device in the world is also going to be kind of low quality and tinny so that it mm. sounds ge- all this and then suddenly you're like well mm-hmm. for Xbox are we just going to play that sound through speakers but then why does it need to be tinny like mm-hmm. and so it, it that's a lot of thinking that you 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 will you wish you would do in order to make all these things work really well but you generally won't yeah um and you'll just you'll just work for the lowest common denominator and you end up not exploiting some of those features then the other right. thing you will definitely all do um is e- after you've designed the least common denominator you will then try <laughs> also to exploit those unique features <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but you w- but you won't have as much of a solid grounding to do it and mm-hmm. and that uh widget satchel had a little bit of that with the um the with the special joy sock feature where your your the characters' socks, uh, which are collectible. You can collect thirty pairs of socks in the game. If you have the if you're playing on Switch, uh, you can um, you can choose the Joy sock, which will have the colors of your socks left and right match your left and right Joy Con colors. And that's a cool yeah. Switch unique feature that was really really fun. But I couldn't really develop any game mechanics out of that because then then it wouldn't then those mechanics couldn't exist in other, like I couldn't have you collect the Joy sock. Because right. then, what you know, or collect one than the other, or match, try to find the 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 matching color to the 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 Joy-Con you own in some kind of puzzles. Like I couldn't do any of that mm-hmm. because right. then that would just have to not exist in the PC version or co- it's in a totally different way. So it ends up being a pretty small feature, even though it was a lot of work to implement. It's not; it doesn't really leverage the feature as much as it certainly could have. Mm-hmm. Right?
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I, I think this is different. Uh, it's a different experience between like an indie developer and a AAA developer. Yeah, because AAA developers have ton more resources, and so they're not going to do it they, either, though. Like, <laughs> right? They, I mean, they, you're you're right in that they won't do it very thoroughly, but uh-huh. they can do it more. But isn't more that that's
2: evidence of 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 this? Is that you're even, right, even with right. all the money in the world, all the <laughs> time and all the resources, <laughs> you're still, you're still not going to use it. that speaker on the DualShock Four? <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> there, You know, actually, um, I've been watching Eric play uh horizon zero dawn, yeah mm-hmm. on the p s four and that has a feature that does use this the speaker on the controller, and it's freaky <laughs> it's so unexpected
2: yeah well, for that, me. that is a playstation exclusive, yeah, that's true, I think Great. it's coming to pc but uh but that it was designed for p s four so those yeah. are those are the games that use that stuff, but you're but when you're porting your game across different consoles, different platforms. It is really difficult to to be as uh, thoughtful and successful with that kind of stuff.
0: Well, yeah, because you kind of have to split your you kind of split your mind yeah. around in order mm-hmm. to do it. Yeah. like I think the way you were describing it, like you have to. Do, like if you, if we wanted to do that for Witch and we wanted a Switch exclusive thing, and we wanted to put it on other platforms as well. We would have to design a Switch exclusive thing, and then either come up with some replacement, some equally good
2: and, thing. Yeah, yeah.
0: Or or just, like, not give them the feature. In which case, then, like, you're giving the Switch-exclusive features. Which is something that games do, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, like, then it's weird. I don't know. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: It's like, it's like, and even with this, their Horizon Zero Dawn piece, it's a PS4 exclusive. But it's also, when coming back to the idea of fun, it's not a very compelling thing. Like, if it came <laughs> through the TV or the soundbar, it really doesn't change the experience that much.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah it's true. So yeah, so, even when you are exclusive, like how much, how far can you go with some of that stuff?
1: You right. Know? Well, and if you're, tr- yeah, if you're trying to create like a compelling experience on all platforms and you need to be able to look at that and say, okay, I can't use this thing here. I need to be able to create an equally compelling experience here. So maybe I just won't make this first one that compelling. <laughs> right.
2: <laughs> yeah, it is. It is tricky because you, you're, you're, uh, you, you'll have these great ideas. And then you'll then you have to face that choice. Like, is it just going to be for this, or am I going to also have to come up with two or three other great ideas? Um, and and, yeah. and then the further you embed those things into the heart of your game, um, the more it just makes more sense to not port it anymore, right? And then, yep. it's like, well, suddenly now I'm not selling to those audiences. Like, it just has mm-hmm. so many different considerations, um, which is really tricky. But um, so moving on a little bit from design stuff, because I want to talk mm. about um, the. Uh, technically, how you can pull off any of this stuff, uh, when you're using Unity particularly, but this is true in any platform, is um, a lot of times when you, you, you're working on, uh, you're choosing a, 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 a lead platform, right? So you'll hear developers say this sometimes, that like, oh, PC is our lead platform, or PS4 is our lead platform, but we're also releasing on PC or whatever. A lot of times all that really means is that your day-to-day testing environment is with that platform, um and so even if you're targeting other platforms as well it's the one that you think of as the default it's the one you test first it's the one you're working on first so for most developers certainly most indie developers uh that is pc right because Mm -hmm. because you can just test it on your development hardware um you know you know in a a larger environment where you have a a more robust uh, qa suite or uh, piles of dev kits sometimes that can be for console even if you are shipping on pc as well Um, and a lot of that can have to do with the technology you're using if you're trying to target that particular hardware to get the most out of it, then PC might not make a good lead platform because uh, you y- you want to hit the threshold of the the exploiting the technology of the PlayStation 4, the Xbox, or the Switch, and then yeah, you're going to release on PC. But like while you're working day to day, it's important that you keep in mind all the considerations of the your lead platform, right? Yeah. So once you've done that, um, then you actually need to like implement these the same feature in multiple. Uh, on, on multiple platforms so rumble is a really good example of this so on switch uh you have your hd rumble and you know uh, even when you're using a lot of uh, uh tools uh, third-party tools to enable that stuff it just works a lot differently like it's just it's mm-hmm. um you you know you play audio samples on a joy-con it has a, essentially a a the the rumble motor in it is essentially a a kind of speaker um, whereas on, um, uh, on other platforms, it's a, it's a, it's just a, a piece of metal that rotates around a stick. Like it's, it, yeah. it's te- it's so different. And, and, um, uh, um, how you do that technically is different as well. But even in those cases, um, the thing you should be doing is abstracting all of your code. So when you have a, ca- you know, okay, my character got shot. Okay. So they definitely need to rumble the controller in some fashion. So you need to write yourself a, a class or some functionality that says, okay, the, uh, uh, you know, rumble happens, and these are all the parameters I'm giving it. And then in that, that piece of code, that class or whatever, then you have your conditionals. You say, is this PlayStation? Then run this code. Is it Xbox? Run this code. You don't yeah. want to put that in your main gameplay loop, and you definitely don't want to, say, start coding in all your HD rumble stuff for Switch directly and then get around to adding other platforms later. You want to, for as soon as possible, abstract that and create your own API. Uh, for those features that you know will be different on different platforms um, yeah and that can include things like dead zones for controllers like for for joysticks um it can it's definitely the case of like saying i don't want to program this to happen when i hit the a button i want it to program it when i when i hit the jump button and then the jump button is going to be different and that's not that you will also help you for controller remapping but certainly on different mm. controllers um, you know, uh, you can have things that will that when you say A button, it means cross on PlayStation, fine. But on, on Switch, do you mean B? Because that's in the same position. Or do you want A to be that button as well? So there's stuff you have to think about um, really early on when you decide what you're porting to, um, if you're planning on shipping on multiple platforms. And abstraction yeah. is the key uh, strategy uh, to take care of that stuff.
0: Yeah, and it, it's valuable even if you're not like, explicitly trying to port it immediately because like if you want if you have plans to port it to another console or something like that um it i found it to be very valuable to just be able to test random features you're trying to implement in the game Mm -hmm. in unity on the unity editor and if you always have to make a build in order to test whatever functionality you're trying to implement yeah then it it it, at that time it slows you down right 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 production
2: yeah and um uh, yeah, Switch in particular, like, you you know, you can hook your Joy-Con to your PC. It's, it's just a Bluetooth controller, but you don't, mm-hmm. it, it's a, di- a completely different controller as far as your computer is concerned. So it's, right. not a, it's not a super good strategy. So you'll want to have things like if you're really testing Switch features, you'll, you'll, that abstraction will help too, because you can say, is, let's say you're just designing a Switch exclusive feature, but you don't want to make a Switch yeah. build every time you test. Well, right. you can make an abstracted rumble class. That does all the normal things and then also if if you're in the editor or on pc it will also on screen in a debug window display information that you can't uh deliver because you're using an xbox controller to test or something like Mm -hmm. um that level of abstract or that advantage of abstraction also works Um, yeah for sure there's certainly a topic in uh getting even deeper into this element but there's more to porting a game than just targeting simultaneous platforms sometimes you actually are taking an old project and moving it to a new platform. Or in the yeah. case of Metro Nexus, which is my other sort of case study here, is you're porting it to an entirely new code base. You're essentially rewriting it completely. And when I say you, mm-hmm. I'm talking about me. I'm doing that. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Metro Nexus, um, um, l- long listeners have, will have heard a lot about that game and its history. But uh, just a, a, a brief recap. Uh, basically, it's um it started as a flash game, right? And so I was a flash developer before I was any other kind of developer. And so um I uh had um I had just learned about this new thing called Citrus Engine, which was a way to make um a, like a state machine in uh in ActionScript, which was the language of Flash. And so I, I'm like, oh, I'll uh, I'll put together a little project, and that like all little projects, it got bigger and bigger. And the thing about this, um, this code base that I was using is that it really gave me a first taste of, of a professional game development workflow, which I'd never had mm-hmm. before, right? It, working in Flash, a lot of times you just have timelines and you you can and, and you know, there's lots of ways to make interesting games just with a, a simple uh, a, a Flash API without any extra libraries. But um, being introduced to things like an input uh, manager or a, 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 like a... An, uh, uh, asset collections and stuff like that that was something that citrus engine introduced me to and of course anyone who knows, knows unity or unreal or any of other platforms will know a lot about these things and a lot about you'll 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 be familiar with learning this stuff for the first time so this was the case for me and so yeah. um my goal initially for the project this was 2015 uh was to make something out that i could put on the Uya because that was brand new at the time um i about that and i might have the d- days a little bit off but my plan was to get it on ouya and that was my first um introduction to uh porting it as a philosophy because the ouya w- um was an android console right so i needed to ma- port this to android so i needed to this flash project to, to to work on on android that was not a problem for flash even going back 10 years ago um yeah. you know uh, flash still powers a lot of mobile games um but uh the, that was my my plan was to get it on ouya and Because OUYA uh, uh, had a crappy controller and supported (laughs) every controller in the universe, um, the contention was, oh, okay, so um, most people who have an OUYA will probably have other controllers. They're not gonna buy a second OUYA controller. And so uh, my first sort of notion of like supporting multiple devices was in creating an abstracted controller manager. So I could uh, uh, do at the time PS3, PS4 and Xbox controllers um, all on Android. And so from the beginning of the project, I was very much like thinking about the, the code base as separate from its delivery. Um, and uh, in, the, in those early years, like I even put it on Windows Phone um, because mm-hmm. there was this great project called Windows Astoria, which was uh, um, uh, during the Windows 8 days, Microsoft had a bunch of plans to get Windows apps on other platforms or to get other platforms apps onto Windows. And mm-hmm. one of them was, uh, the, the, they were called um, Project Centennial, which is a way to get Win32 apps, like a traditional Windows app, into the Windows Store, right? Like a UWP, if, if people are familiar with, with these uh, with this, these platforms. And it was trying to get get all types of apps and all types of code onto Windows next generation like application platform. And uh, not all of that panned out. And one of them was a uh, uh, project Astoria, which was a way to say, because this is when Windows was still trying to get Windows on mobile phones. Sure, yeah. Astoria was a way to get Android uh apps onto Windows. And the way they did it, they, they did this with iOS too. And that's still a project that, that's 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 available where you take your iOS code base, like that you wrote in, in Objective-C or Swift or whatever, and you can just compile it to a Windows Phone app. That was something you used to be able to do um, hmm. before Windows Phone went away. But <laughs> you can still do that on Windows. Um hmm. Astoria was different. It was just putting because Android is open source, you put the Android runtime on Windows Phone, and so you could just load an Android uh, app, and so yeah, and there were huh. like, ways to get certain uh, features. And so uh, for a time, I had these forty dollars Windows phones, because um, you can get Windows phones really, really cheap back then because they they had lots of low uh, low power and, and and budget devices. And so I spent probably six months uh, testing out Metro Nexus on Windows Phone because I could, but it required huh. um, it was it's an Adobe Air app, so it's Flash compiled to android and then uh being run on a windows phone so it was like seven layers deep so wow. going back forever this project has has like moved through the ether of of these different like targets and runtimes huh. and platforms that's cool so it's i I, I, and I learned a lot about um organizing code and about and about abstracting functionality um, from that experience, which, which really helped me when I got to Unity, because Unity is something that sort of says, this is the Unity way of doing it, uh, don't ask why. And that can get you into trouble the longer you use Unity. Yeah. And so uh, having a little bit of that background was very helpful for me because it, it, the, those, those walls were a little shorter and easier to climb when I, when I, when I got to them. So the, the big part of this, though, and the reason I took a big, long lead up to it, is that um, Metro Nexus is now running on Switch, at 60 frames Woo! per second, <laughs> Woo! which is a, a- an achievement. <laughs> it, it runs fantastic. It's running good. And it's essentially the exact same code base that started uh, as Flash in 2015. And wow. the, the way this works is it's not actually ActionScript anymore. It's, a, it's a, a new language called Hacks. And I've mentioned this on the show before. So I've talked a little bit about it. So for, forgive me, listener, if you've heard some of these details already. Um, but... Um, uh, hacks or Haxe or Axe or it, there's no official way to pronounce it. It's H A X E. Um, it's a language that was designed to be essentially identical to ActionScript, which is the object-oriented language. Uh, it's very similar to Java or C Sharp. So if you use Unity, it's so it's essentially the same thing. Uh, in terms of like how you write it and the 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 structure you use, ActionScript and Hacks are very similar. ActionScript gets compiled. And it runs on a runtime, the, the Flash player, right? Or the Air player. And then that application, the player, is compiled natively for the different platforms. So you have a Flash player on Windows, a Flash player on Android. You have a Flash player on iOS, believe it or not, that, that is embedded into every one of these apps. And then your code runs in that player. Um, Unity actually works sort of similarly in certain contexts, right? Uh, unless you're mm-hmm. using IL2PB. Um, but... Uh, Java works the same way. Even a lot of uh, .NET works the same way. So it's really common to have these runtimes. But, and you'll hear this, a lot of people say this, native code is faster, right? Uh, 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 Running directly on the hardware. And so um, uh, Hacks uh, said, okay, Flash was designed to write once and deploy anywhere. So let's take that further by saying, write once and then we'll transpile the code to native code. And then we'll just use native compilers. Mm -hmm. So if you write something in Hacks, you can then turn it into JavaScript and run it in a web page, right? You can turn okay, it into yeah. C++ and compile it using a C++ compiler to run on anything. You can run it on a toaster. It runs on anything, right? right. And so um, rather than having a player that the player itself needs to have versions for each of these platforms, you create a, uh, you take your code and then you, you turn it into other code. And then that code, you can go in and edit it if you want. It's, it's your mm. code still. Um mm-hmm. it, it uh it just translates the code like Google Translate and then you use any compiler for that 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 platform. Um of course it's not quite as simple as that, but it's almost as simple as that. And so huh. what's nice about it is that it the 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 language is um I mean there are differences, but it's almost identical to ActionScript. There is even a process by which you could automatically turn your ActionScript into hacks, and then you go in and make a couple of corrections. Um, because there's some syntax changes, but it's very, very little. And so uh, that's what I did for Metro Nexus. And that took a couple months to get that process going. Um, And so um, once I got that working, then basically it's just straight C++. So that means (laughs) it can run on anything that I can compile it to, which C++ is, it is a language like any other, but it has a longer history. And um, there's nothing magical about it, except for the fact that um, it is, uh, uh, it can compile natively to most anything because there's so many options for it.
1: And okay. it has two pluses.
2: That's right. very <laughs> sure. There is a language called C minus minus. I think it was created what? as a joke. Um, oh, <laughs> we can maybe find that and put it in the show notes. Yeah. Um, wow. Okay, so this is the porting I'm doing for Metro Nexus, right? It's taking porting it from a Flash game into a uh, action or a, a, a hacks game, um, which can then be put onto anything. Now. That's all fine if it's just the language, but the code itself is actually quite complicated and uses lots of different libraries. The first right. of which is the Flash API. So if you've used Flash before, it has a, it has a language of, of movie clips, which are, um, and the display list. So it's a, a visually based. So I have an object that uh, has a timeline and has, and I can draw on it and it has a canvas and it has transform properties. And so think of a movie clip like a Unity game object, kind of. And so um, that is not part of the language, right? That's part of the API. Right. And so right. a- ActionScript itself is almost the same as JavaScript or TypeScript. They're based on similar syntax. And Hacks is, is, has a standard library like most uh, languages do, but it's just like math functions and stuff. It's very similar to, you know, uh, uh, most standard libraries, very basic functionality. The Flash API doesn't exist in Hacks, but of course Hacks was designed to replace ActionScript and no one used ActionScript if they didn't also use the Flash API. So mm-hmm. um, there's also a project uh, um, called OpenFL um, or OpenFlash, I suppose. And that is essentially a one-to-one um, uh, port of the Flash API to Hacks. And so when I have my new project, I import the OpenFL API. I change a couple of my references uh, when I import import statements. But then otherwise, all my code is exactly the same uh, okay. when, I'm, when I'm using the Flash API. Okay, that's great, fine. But I'm not just using the Flash API. I'm using something called the Starling API, which is a way to use the Flash engine's 3D capabilities. So this is not something that that most people know about. But Flash it was a, a, you know had a fully capable 3D renderer in it. Um, in fact, uh, Unreal um, uh, uh, when it, when Unreal had a web player, it ran in Flash and it was the fastest version. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, uh, uh, Unity you could target Flash from Unity for the longest time. Um, but no one wanted to use it really because the truth is is there's not a lot of 3D games on the web Um, and so that was a big part of the reason Um, but I think back in 2012 or something you could export from Unity to Flash and it worked great Um, because uh, the Flash player has 3D functionality so Starling was a way but it's a really complicated API like anyone who's done graphics programming knows that it's not any fun and you should never do it Um, (laughs) just like raw raw (laughs) graphics programming you need an intermediary layer right and so the right. Starling API was interesting. The Starling API was to say, let's mimic the Flash API, movie clips, sprites, um, you know, shapes, and, you know, all the things that we know about the Flash API and the way people are, us- are used to using ActionScript in that way. And let's have it run on the GPU as 3D. So people who use Unity know that when you make a sprite, you're actually making a quad that has a texture, right? And you're running it in 3D space, but the camera is orthographic. So even 2D is 3D, right? Um, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, this is something that, that that gamers, when they learn it, are, it blows them away. Um, <laughs> uh, and when developers learn it for the first time, it's really quite interesting, right? Mm-hmm. Um, every 2D game you've played for the past 15 years is a 3D game, right? Yeah. Um, maybe not Pico 8 games, but like other than that, most things. <laughs> so the Starling API was something that was written for ActionScript as a way to make Flash games run faster because they could run on the GPU. And that is what made Flash relevant as long as it finally was, until it finally went away. Um, so I use that in Metro Nexus to, 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 to achieve a pretty good uh, uh, smooth running rate and get a lot, you know, you can also do raster effects and filters and all the things you can do w- with, uh, you know, 2D uh, uh, or uh, fake 2D, but really 3D. Okay, uh, um, I needed that in hacks. Well, luckily, uh, so many people are like me, they moved over, that exists. Okay, so that's there. So I've got that going. The last piece I needed was the Citrus engine, right? This this actual this this engine that that, that had the API for uh, uh uh asset management and state changes and and stuff like that. That was that right. got me into this project to begin with. That project had been abandoned, so no. it no. was so uh, there was an ActionScript version that I was using, and um there was a uh, uh, uh the Starling API had updated, and I uh, and the uh, and Citrus engine didn't. And so it was using an older, slower version of Starling. And, and years ago, before we were working on Widget Satchel, I had, I had taken that Citrus engine and used a unfinished version of it uh, to update all of the, 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 the code so it could use more, more modern libraries. And that, the Citrus engine was abandoned at that point, right? There were other things that were available that were uh, uh, basically as good or better in, in the Flash space. And uh, by the time I went back and ported it to Hacks, uh, you know, no progress had been made on Citrus Engine, so I needed to port that entire engine myself to Hacks, Whoa. uh, to get that to work, and that was actually the most of the work that I did. Um, the the I, I really briefly considered um just rebuilding it all in Unity or rebuilding it in another more modern uh, Hacks game engine. Uh, Hacks Flixel is one that's out there. If you remember that game, um, that uh, Adam Saltzman, uh, his first uh, hit, uh, uh uh that game was yeah. a, a flash game. And he wrote an engine for it um, that is that then got uh the he open sourced. And then that engine was taken by hacks developers and ported to hacks Flixel, mm-hmm. and it is now the the most popular uh Hacks game engine. Um so it yeah. has a pretty long life. So I thought, well, oh, maybe I could adopt that instead. But I had so much code in Metro Nexus that I'm like, ah, you know what? It probably will be faster if I just go ahead and port this old engine that I know really well. Uh, and so I did that and it's done and I kind of want to release it, but, uh, I don't know who would use it, I think, cause there's, there's, un- there's other options out there. Sure. So this is like, I mean, it's, I'm giving you a lot of the details. I don't know how many of them are that important, but like a lot of this is, um, a way to keep my old code relevant without having to rewrite a lot of it because I had done, it, it's a, it has a physics engine in it and it, it has a lot of stuff that if I were to rebuild it, Maybe I could do it, but it wouldn't feel the same. And Metro Nexus went yeah. through like two, three years of playtesting. Um yeah. <laughs> it feels the way I want it to feel, and so all of this effort was really worth it um, uh, to to get it, you know, working. And now, uh, you know, it runs perfectly. So I'm very, very pleased with the work. But it was a ton of work, and this is right. not something even that you know this game was never released as a flash game. So it's you know it's been in development this whole time, and so you'll hear this. There are famous stories of like Nuke Duke 'em forever. Like going from like technology, to technology over the course of twenty years or whatever, um, yeah, you know, this is essentially that. It's the same story, right? It's a little bit less sad than that story, <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, that's something that, um, and it, it, all of my, all of my history of knowing how any of this stuff works. All the, the couple of years I took off from this project to get good at Unity, uh, also was really valuable into making this mm-hmm. process a, l- a little bit. Uh, uh, quicker than it needed to be. Um, but the thing is, is that um, this is a kind of a worst case scenario for a port, right? Yeah. A lot of this- times, if you're working on, like, if your game is in JavaScript or your game is in some other thing and you wanted to move it to a new platform, there's usually easier ways, mm-hmm. right? Um, but this is something that was born out of necessity. Um, but ultimately, I mean, I could, the game could have stayed a Flash game and it, I could have put it on mobile, could have put it on PC or Mac. Would have ran fine, would have been great but I wanted to get yeah. it on consoles because now I have access to consoles. Um, and uh, I owe a lot to a lot of the open source developers who have um, uh, put these new libraries together that I could port to. But also um, the, uh, there are libraries that let me compile to Switch. Um, and those are behind NDAs, um, as just like the, the modules for Unity. Um, and very far fewer people are using them. And so, right. um, so I have to be a little bit more hands-on, but I'm also much more in debt to the people who make those tools, uh, to, to, to make these things possible. Um, yeah. but that's been really exciting and a really interesting process. So, um, uh, hopefully the story is interesting, but also I want to make, I want to be a resource. If you're, if you have an old code base that you want to move, uh, if you, you know, if you're going from flash to hacks or it's any other thing to any other thing, I've learned a lot and a lot of the pitfalls. So, uh, drop us a line, contact at nice games.club, uh, yeah. to let us know, because that is something that, uh, it's, it only recently am I at the point where the porting work is essentially done, and I can start working on features again, which is really exciting. Um, yeah. I can start doing more of that controller abstraction um, that mm-hmm. I was doing a lot for uh, for Widget Satchel, um, mm-hmm. and uh, luckily uh, Metro Nexus has been really well abstracted up to now because it already on PC and Android supported every controller that ever was ever made, um, and, uh, and and by that token, I did a lot of that that work to make a lot of my functionality. Um, uh, write my own APIs for that even if there was only one implementation um, for the longest time so I'm going back to a lot of my old code and being like oh, thankfully I I, I thought ahead already so make make my (laughs) work going forward a little bit easier. Um,
1: Thank you past Mark.
2: Yeah exactly (laughs) (laughs) and that's the biggest lesson is like uh, you you don't know how hard it's going to be for future you so make you know sometimes it's a little bit of extra work now and you don't know if you're going to benefit from it Um, but when it comes time you know you'll you will think past yourself mm-hmm. yeah.
1: in planning your port <laughs> think about future you
2: yeah so i've i mean I've, I've i've prattled on this whole time about this whole story but do you guys have any questions or any uh things that came up that i didn't quite explain quite right you want to ask about
0: i wanted to ask like uh i mean the experience you went through internet Port metro nexus um was largely due to like i guess you were using you're using flash and it's not it's not supported on consoles. Yeah, stuff, they'll right? never so, be a flash target for future devices, right? Yeah. Um but like you had to you had to do your ex- specific porting experience because you wanted to um update the engine. Do you uh, I guess like in a, in a um in a broad sense, do you think that like it would be valuable for people to uh try to like future proof their Oh, that's a really, really On good basis? question. I, actually, yeah. I
2: think the answer to that is no. Um, okay. Uh, one of the things that um, I mean, you know, even in 2015, uh, mm-hmm. people were talking about the death of Flash, right? Yeah. Um, uh, developers who were using it knew better. And I mean, even today, you can write an app in Flash, or uh, I say Flash, but it, it, the desktop target is called Adobe Air. Um, right. You can you can target a a, a a you don't need to install any plugins. It, the The runtime comes with the game, just like it does in Unity and Mm -hmm. you can still ship a game on steam no one's the wiser runs great it is excellent technology it's you know 15 years of incredible libraries if you're targeting pc and mobile in fact um uh, there's a really really popular mobile game uh the battle for polytopia uh that's written in flash and it's like Mm. one of the top iphone games um and no one knows and it's fine um Mm. if you don't if you don't have the need to it can, be, um, it can be really tempting to want a to future-proof, right? Because, oh, I'm going to move to a technology that's actually supported, that's ha- going to have new versions, that isn't dying on the vine, frankly, right? Mm-hmm. But you have to think of your needs, right? Like, is there, if you have all the code you need, if you have all the libraries you've got, um, this is the same with Unity, right? People talk about Unity like, oh, there are some people who like to update to the latest version of Unity as soon as it's out, right? Because right. they want the new features, and just like anyone updates anything. But yeah. if your game is working, if it's running well, you can stay on 2017.1. It's fine, right? Yeah. I mean, of course, if you're working in the console space, there's other considerations. But, um, right. you know, if you're making a PC game and you're working in ActionScript and everything's is going great for you, I mean, uh, yeah, it feels a little bit weird because you... It, but um, there are decades of forum posts to help you with all your problems. So that that's not necessarily an issue. You're not going to get a lot yeah. of help from people because there's not a lot of active developers in that space anymore. So there, right. you know, there's lots of reasons. But I would say... Um, it depends on the future you expect, or the future that you plan, right?
0: Okay. Um, sure. Uh,
2: with Metro Nexus, it was very much a I demoed for the I demoed the game on a laptop for people at GDC uh, in a in a in a meeting with Nintendo reps, and everyone, all the developers who were there showing off their stuff, um, I was saying like, oh yeah, this is you know this is an air, so it's never going to come to Switch, just never. I I just accepted that as a thing, and everyone mm-hmm. was like. Oh, because it would be perfect on the Switch, and the, mm, the, yeah. the every time I heard that, I was like, "Ah, oh, man!" I know every game is perfect on the Switch, so it, you, have the, you have to hear it. <laughs> you have to hear it the hundreds of times that I heard it, right. for, for me to finally say, "All right, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm committing to doing that." And this was before I even had access to Switch development hardware. I was, right. I, 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 I committed that 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 uh, Metro Nexus would be moved to a to uh, Haxie so that I could target Switch because I knew it was possible um yeah it was in fact it's uh the two years we took off uh, that i took off when we made uh widget satchel were really beneficial Mm -hmm. because the technology i wouldn't say it's 1.0 but it's matured (laughs) quite a bit and it's it's running really well on the latest nintendo sdks uh on on the switch whereas two years ago when i had had decided to do it um it it was it was a much uh hairier proposition still possible but um it's much better now and um but but i had that specific reason to do it like i'd heard it from a million people if you just think oh i would love for this game to be on 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 this platform um you have to weigh that with how challenging it will be to get it there um but i mean you're not gonna hear this from a lot of other people but like go ahead and ship your flash game it's fine like yeah you know don't don't ship it on the web because no one has the flash player installed in their browser anymore um but go ahead and ship uh, it on desktop ship it on steam you can get steam achievements there's tons of libraries available to you you can get what are called native extensions where you can get native uh functionality on uh, android or ios or windows or, or mac uh using that code base um so there's um you do it's a tough decision for each developer who is in the situation that i was in um mm-hmm. but but just sure. cuz i did it doesn't mean everyone has to
1: That's actually what i wanted to ask you about Mark mm-hmm. um i wanted to ask you a tough question which is under what conditions would future Mark look back and say this wasn't worth it?
2: Oh, I see. Huh. That's a really good question. Um, one thing um, is that the um, when I decided to do this port, I was actually thinking more about PlayStation Four um, mm-hmm. uh, because PlayStation Four in 2015 was turning into a really good local multiplayer console. Um, right. It was the it's the, it was the home of Little Big Planet, and I think it's less true now. But a couple of years ago, it was really, before the Switch came out, it was seen as, uh, uh, because the PlayStation 4 was so successful, um, and and uh, players surveyed, uh, uh, were, they were more likely to have multiple controllers than Xbox players. Um, mm-hmm. And so that was my first, that was actually the first thought, is because I didn't know, one, Switch didn't exist yet, and two, when it did, uh, actually getting on Switch was like a, an uncertain proposition, right? Um, right. And so my first thought was, um, uh, uh, was uh, was PlayStation? I was like, that would be really good. And that was something that I had been hearing about is that there was a a, um, a console backend uh, for the libraries that, w- that I was using uh, for OpenFL. And that was something that was being worked on. I, I, I uh, um, there was some talks at a conference about that. And um, uh, of course, a lot of that was still under NDA at that time. The, they were working with Wii U and PlayStation Four and Xbox at the time. Since then. Those, those that, that generic console backend that was meant to target all the different consoles, um, uh, that has actually stopped development. Instead, what's replaced it is a, a, a much better version of the Switch target. Um, and then the, there's Xbox and PlayStation targets that are available, um, uh, um, but they're, they have not had a lot of uh, updates and not a lot of testing. I believe one or two games has shipped uh, with it um but there they were herculean efforts um mm. so one of the things i certainly would have uh, regretted is if i had done all that work in uh, uh 2018 when we started working on widget satchel if i'd started the work then and there's a certain no going back right you can't when you're making this kind of porting you can't um um you can't change your mind right um uh, because mm-hmm. you uh, one i mean i had to have such res- uh, i had to reserve my temptation to start adding features in the middle of the process. I'm like, no, everything that needs to work, like, yes, this is bad code, but I need to port this bad code because if I make any changes and then there's a future problem, I won't have my old code to com- that works to compare mm-hmm. it to. Right. So it was really, really, really difficult to keep myself from doing that. And finally, I'm, I don't have to do that anymore. It's a really good feeling. <laughs> cool. But even then, there's no going back. Um, there's There are enough things that you change and enough little tweaks you make along the way that are, uh, that are ultimately material benefits to the project, that going back means junking it, right? You can't like, um, mm-hmm. it, it, because a lot of times, the, the, at least in the case of ActionScript to Haxy, some of the changes that I had to make were in service of this is best practice here, but this is best practice here. So it wasn't necessarily that I was making it better, it's just I needed to make a different decision. It was sometimes very slight, but there's dozens of them across the code base. So taking mm-hmm. any of those improvements that I make that, and, and saying, which one was because of the language and which one was because of like Starling that would, that would actually benefit both that I was and then, or which one was because I totally effed up and made an improvement I wasn't supposed to. Um, so there's sort of no going back. So, so getting all the way back to answering the question, if I had started doing that in 2018 and then it was come time to actually test, I'd gotten access to dev hardware finally uh, uh, that year and, um, and the, the libraries had, were not ready um, and, and, and maybe never would be, or maybe we're just, uh, abandoned officially. Um, then I would have been in a lot of trouble because I would mm. have done a lot of work and I could, you know, I could still, uh, uh I, I, I actually, I'd, I'd be able to, to ship on the web, um, uh, better than it, than, than with flash. I could still go on steam and, and, and on mobile if I wanted to, but it would have been a lot of work for no extra benefit really. So, mm. uh, it was a little bit of a leap of faith to do it at that time. Um and a lot of it had to do with just the excitement about the fact that this game it I just didn't think it it just had a home on Switch. And so when I finally got around to doing it um if it, uh you know at the end of, of twenty nineteen in December, um it was it was it was easy to do it then, but if I had started the work earlier, it would have been an even dicier proposition. Okay. That I could have easily come to regret. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> But, you know, cool. I've talked about before, we talked about, like, starting projects a couple weeks ago. Um, yeah. One of the things I'm very comfortable with is wasting a little time at the top. Um, yeah. And so um, I was, at a certain point, I was like, I need, to, I need to port this so that I can, to the point that I can get it running on Windows so that I can test it on Switch. There was so much of that work before I could get it actually running at all on Windows mm-hmm. that, that I felt I had gone way past the point of being comfortable with the time wasting. If I had gotten it tested on, on Windows and at least it, the build ran, it didn't run perfectly, but at least it, would, it opened a window, then I'm like, okay, now I can test it on Switch. And if that just didn't work and there was no way to fix it, and, or I made some totally wrong presumption about the ability for it to, it to work at all, I would right. have wasted months. Um, yeah. Whereas if, it, if I was able to get it running on Windows a lot faster and, and, then, and test it on Switch and it didn't work, I wouldn't feel as bad about wasting the time um right. but like yeah there was a certain point where i'm just like i'm in it now like uh, hope it eric's i had confidence but like not certainty
0: yeah yeah sure mm-hmm. huh dang that's wow <laughs> <It sounds laughs> effortful. 60 frames per second it's working it's working great yeah that's, that's amazing cool. I, yeah. I i appreciate you sharing all of that information because like i think that like it's helpful for uh listeners to hear like those those specific kinds of difficulties that like we face sometimes as yeah. developers. And like every project's going to be different. You're going to have those random uh idiosyncratic issues that like will come up. Yeah. Oh um, yeah, yeah. And I mean maybe maybe it's not literally porting an entire engine to a new console. But like <laughs> well some
2: some people go from Unity to Unreal because they have particular yeah. demands. Like this is not um you it's know it's not unheard of. Yeah, and a lot right. of times when people port to a different code base or a different engine they're doing something differently than I did, which is a lot of mm. times they're just rewriting it, right? They're, right? they're looking at the old code and then just doing it in a whole new system. Um, mm-hmm. The the There's pluses and minuses to what I did, which is just take the code and copy and paste it and then check all the spelling errors essentially, right? Um, mm-hmm. The the plus is that there I didn't have to reimplement anything, right? right. I just had to make sure that the code w- was working. The minus is that I don't know that it took me less time to do it that mm. way necessarily. Yeah. Um, the, oh yeah. The real benefit was that everything would work exactly the same way. Right? I didn't have to. I didn't have to make any design changes. So that was a real solid benefit. But um, the
1: benefit was confidence and fidelity.
2: Yes, that's exactly right. Um, yeah, the, I will say that there's there's more than just technical risks as well. Like in terms of actually pitching the project. So if, let's say you're you're like, okay, I've been working on this by myself for a little while. I want to bring in a team. Well, no one knows how to use this obscure language and platform that I'm only only—I'm the only person on earth that uses. Let's just imagine <laughs> that's the case. So that's a really good reason to port to something, right? All of my developer yeah. friends, the people I want to hire on this project or to, that I want to work with, they're all Unity experts. So it's worth my effort so that I can get their their expertise later, right? So that's a really good reason to change engines or to change yeah. is, is to, to leverage uh, not just uh, new technology or, or technologies available, but people that are available. Another one of them, and this is something that I've faced recently, is I talked to um, some months ago about, um, you know, with GDC being canceled, I, I had all these meetings and I was pitching Metro Nexus to publishers. And one of the things right. I heard from a lot of people was, um, you know, they'd ask what engine it was in. And I would explain like, you know, it was, it was Adobe Air, but I moved it to Haxie, and, and that's the whole thing. And a lot of them understood that because they'd heard that from other developers. But yeah. I'd I'd gotten some pushback saying like, oh, I don't know. Like, uh, we don't know that uh, I haven't heard a lot of success stories there or, oh, I'm not sure I can, you know, we wouldn't be able to support you if there was any problems with the code base. And I I would say, uh, you know, my confidence is like, that's not what I'm not asking for that development support. But a lot of times publishers want to offer that. And that's the uh, Mm. um, relationship they're familiar with. So that was something that I had to sort of face. Like, well, if I had just ported it all to Unity instead, then, yes, I'd have to re-implement. I would have to, I have to do, it would be a complete. it would be starting over, Right. And right. so uh, I'm very happy that I didn't do that, but it does have a cost, right? Because mm-hmm. if you tell a publisher this was made in Unity, they're like, "Oh, great!" Then like you know they don't they yeah. don't have any yeah. concerns at that point. Um, yeah. But when I tell them like it's a it's a it's an engine that that doesn't exist anymore uh, on a, on a platform that is uh, not commonly used, um, mm. targeting <laughs> targeting something that there are maybe a dozen or fewer shipping titles using on on Switch, um, then they're like. Um, oh, then they have to have a little more faith in you, right? And so right. I, I had to accept that—that um, that it's a little bit of a harder sell, you right.
1: know. You have to make yeah. up for that as deals. Right?
2: Yeah, yeah. But you know, I believe enough in this project, and I really believe in the work that I've put into it already. That I'm—I uh, I understand the, those drawbacks, but I'm accepting of them, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and hopefully, you know, as time goes on, I'll I'll have I'll have better builds that I can share with with future partners, so that that can hopefully get more of that, uh, that like, oh, really, are you really, you did that? And like, oh, yeah, you did that. Um, Whereas (laughs) uh, 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 in that time when I was pitching it, it was a lot more of like, a, believe me, I'm uh, it's going to work, right? (laughs) Uh, (laughs)
3: Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Uh,
2: And there's always going to be a lot of that. Believe me, uh, you know, uh, uh, I'm going to make this happen. That's something that a publisher has to, um, uh, that's a hard, that's a hard sell for any publisher, uh, evaluating any developer, frankly. Um, yeah. So the fewer the fewer unknowns you can give them, the better. Um, but yeah, you have to weigh all those different
0: pluses and minuses,
2: and it's not just the right? tech Yeah.
0: That's our show. If you liked it, leave us a five star review on your favorite podcast app. Be sure to tell all your friends too. What kind of stars, Stephen? <laughs> five stars, the fanciest stars. Yeah. <laughs> if you're interested in any of the topics we talked about in this episode, make sure to check out our website, NiceGames.club, for more show notes and links to resources. Like with playtesting our games, we are always looking for feedback on the podcast. You can do that at nicegames.club feedback to tell us what you think. Get in touch with us on Twitter at Nice Games Club, where Dale tweets game dev resources and pictures of cats, or by email at contact at nicegames.club. Ask us questions or give us suggestions for topics. So until we start again, remember to... Play nice. And make Nice. If you liked it, leave a... Fa- leave a what? <laughs> a bleh. A bleh. A fancy bleh. Goodness, I haven't said this in a long time. Hold on. <laughs> well, while you do that, I'm going to...
1: <laughs> I think it's my turn to edit this one, so...
0: Cool. You're going to have a job. Yeah. <laughs> Be fine. <clears throat> uh, here, I'll start